This is the fear of science. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Fear of Science, the podcast that dives into the wide world of science and science-adjacent topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new fear, along with special guests, surprises, and discoveries along the way. My name is Daniel Chai. And I'm Jeff Porter. And today on Fear of Science, we are very excited because it is a podcast crossover. Uh, Today we are joined uh, online in studio uh, by our friends from the I Can Explain, the LGBT plus focused podcast. Now their podcast aims to answer the question you are too afraid to ask. Uh, They give comedic takes on their queer experiences in a show where nothing is truly off limits. We're very excited to welcome to Fear of Science, Brianne Williamson and Sean Lusk. Yay! Thanks for having us. You're very welcome. Uh, We're very glad to have both of you here to uh, uh, join us for today's conversation, today's discussion, which is... Fear of representation. Yes. Uh, This is one I've been wanting... We've been trying to set up for a while, but our, our schedules were kind of all over the place. And then... I don't, this thing, I don't know if anyone's heard of it called uh, COVID uh, happened. It's this little thing. <laughs> and then all of our planning just totally went out the window. <laughs> yeah, I was actually looking today at the emails. and I'm like, wow, we've been trying to do this for months. But we're so excited to finally be here. And we really appreciate you all allowing us to come on your platform and talk about something that we think is really important. And um, yeah, we appreciate you give, giving us that space. You're very yeah, we're happy to have you. Um, now, uh, uh, depending on when you, the listener, are listening to this uh, episode, um, it, this podcast may uh, is being recorded during a very, during a very heavy time in the world, um, during a time when talking about representation is absolutely important, and yet it it can feel like a minefield to discuss and talk about. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the question that we asked off the top of most of our, our Fear of Science podcasts, um, and it's one that I think definitely applies for this uh, conversation that so many people are having in the world right now, as of the recording of this episode, is why are people afraid of representation? Yeah, that's a big one. Absolutely. <laughs> And and also uh, a follow-up question that I think perhaps should actually come first is, uh, what do we mean by representation in in the context of what we're discussing today, but maybe also in the grander scale? What what is representation? Right. Well, I think um, for us as queer individuals, Sean and I, we talk about representation a lot on our podcast. And to me personally, it's about allowing people to see themselves um, outside of themselves. So Mm -hmm. whether that's on TV, in the media, in the books that you read in school, um, it's basically about widening the lens of the perspective that is given through information 
um, to folks that are receiving that information. And I think it's very important and obviously becoming increasingly um, important. Um, it's always been important, but I think people are starting to realize exactly how important it is. And I, that's why I think that while these times are really heavy, it's actually really cool that we get to discuss it. Um, and Sean and I, as queer individuals, we're also white. So we also um, are aware that the representation that we need is very different than the representation other people might need. So we are speaking from our position as queer individuals, but really speaking to the broader topic that everyone deserves to see themselves represented. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And diversity is so important. Um, I know me being a uh, straight white man, uh, it's difficult to see myself in media a large amount of the time. <laughs> yeah. very, very strong for you to speak out. It's very brave of you. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for telling your story. <laughs> I think we, we do try to balance that as well. Like we are quite aware of our positions in our community and we are aware that representation does not stop when you represent a white gay and lesbian in say a show like that is just getting your first toe in you know it, it's a, a much larger conversation and there are many more people that need to see themselves represented much more than we do thank you um and now for uh as a uh, as a Am I as a cis heterosexual Asian man? Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Um, <laughs> what am I saying? Uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm, you know, even as a person of color, um, you know, I'm very grateful to have, uh, you know, diverse people that I can talk to. And I'm hearing, you know, especially again, as of the time of this recording, um, you know, so much stuff is being shared and lots of, uh, uh, lots of pain and lots of uh, uh, stories and hurt and anger and frustration. Um, and, you know, these people are, are coming forward with their stories, um, but there are still people who are pushing back on, you know, uh, representation. And, you know, this, this may be, you know, a, a bigger, broader, you know, context for the conversation mm -hmm. we're having today, but, you know, even the even you know that the chant of you will not replace us is you know it's like it's mind-boggling that that um that we're still here in the year 2020 and you know uh, uh these things are being talked about because mm -hmm. there are people who are afraid of representation are they afraid of representation yeah i think i think for me the fear of representation that i've have felt from a lot of people is kind of twofold. The first being there are a lot of people that still don't want to hear these stories. Like that's just, mm -hmm. <laughs> that is a reality that you have to accept that a lot of people are still homophobic. <laughs> um, right. And then I think the secondary issue is that some people aren't necessarily afraid of the representation itself, but people are afraid of telling the wrong story as well. So right. I think people kind of hold back in film and TV sometimes because they don't want to tell what they 
would think is the wrong story, which I mean, the right story would be if you got a queer person telling it, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we I, need more, more queer uh, directors and storytellers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I totally agree with that. I think part of the reason that we started our podcast, I can explain is because we were realizing that there's a lot of people that actually do not want to be ignorant. They just simply have no clue where to start or how to ask a question. And they really don't want to offend. And um, definitely we always remind people that your queer friends are not Google, you know, there's information (laughs) out there. So just because you know someone who's LGBTQ plus doesn't mean that they have to give you all the information on what that means or define it for you or divulge personal experiences in the same way that a heterosexual person might not feel comfortable doing so. But Sean and I are pretty open books. So when we started the podcast, we were like, hey, we don't mind being asked these questions. So let's make a space where people can ask us questions that they might feel uncomfortable asking anyone else and um, give our personal um, experiences so that there's one more story out there. And I think that's all that representation is, is that there needs to be more stories and perspectives out there. And a way that I describe it sometimes, I was chatting with one of my friends who identifies as heterosexual, and she was like, I just don't need, I don't get the uh, need for so many that was her first question. I was like, oh God, okay, here we go. And her her example to me was, well, there's Love, Simon, because I was complaining that there weren't enough queer rom-coms. And I was like, you're telling a lesbian identifying woman that Love, Simon, a story about a gay male should be enough for me. She's like, it's a gay story, like, you know, and the way I describe it to anyone who is maybe thinking of it that way is there are so many characters on TV and movies. And as a heterosexual individual, you know that you're going to connect to different ones. There's different personalities. There's um, different economic statuses represented. Um, Some of them you're going to hate. Some of them you're going to love. All these different careers represented in all these characters. The list goes on. And it's not expected that you should just get one and every heterosexual Mm -hmm. person should identify. And really the LGBTQ plus community is a huge umbrella of so many people from so many different walks of life tied together by one, maybe similarity, but other than that, we're all so different. So to assume that one sort of representation is going to kind of fix it for us all is, is not enough. Well, and coming from a white dude's perspective, uh, we've we've heard all the white dude stories, all the white straight dude stories. We know them; they've been done. Let's do some new ones. That's the thing: is if if you want to be a chef or an action hero, you can probably find some representation of a white man being those things, and probably a rom com that ties into either of those as well. So, yeah. Yeah. totally. So. So that's a. Uh, uh, I think we're we're touching upon this a lot uh, already, but you know, so uh, uh, so ultimately, the answer to uh, why is it important to have everyone represented is is to make sure that uh, uh, I'm trying to not 
simplify it down. Help me, help me find the right phrasing for this. Why is it important to have everybody represented? I think a lot of it is just feeling that your um, your sexuality or your your ethnicity, all of these things, is uh, valid and appreciated, <laughs> because I think that is what is missing when you're underrepresented. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaking to that, when you, whether we like it or not, when we look at social media, when we look at TV screens, when we open a magazine, what we hear about at school, all those things are telling us this is what the world looks like. So mm-hmm. when you're watching a TV show that's saying this is what the world looks like and you're not there, it really takes away the validation of like, I have a place in this community and a place in this world and who I am is valid and should be represented. So I think that's the importance of it is that these are all just mirrors of our reality. And if we're not in that mirror, then to us, it feels like we just don't exist or people don't want to think that we exist. Yeah. And it makes you feel less alone if you see examples of yourself out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I know when, when I was a kid, um, I'm a massive geek. And when I was a kid, um, the representation of what geeks were on media were that four eyed, you know, losers. Right. Um, So once that started to turn around, even that small amount for me, I was just like, oh, yeah, that's that's me. I like yeah. like Silicon Valley. I yeah. was like, yeah, 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 that's that's a geek. <laughs> that's, that's what I am. I love that because that's such a great example of, you know, whoever you are. It feels good to see yourself and be like, oh, OK, there are people that kind of get me or are like me. Yeah, yeah. It's also so nice to it. hear something that you would use to define yourself used in a context that isn't negative, <laughs> which is always nice. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I'm, would, would, do we feel that the conversation around, about representation, is it, is it getting easier or is it, or are people who need representation are people more able to step forward and say that they need representation? Is it that is it that society is able to um, be more accepting to have these conversations about diversity and representation, or is it these diverse people who need their representation now saying enough is enough? I think that. Okay, I'm going to sound really cynical saying this, but I think (laughs) that people are realizing that diversity is expected. (laughs) Unfortunately, I think that a lot of major networks or magazines or whatever you want to speak to are seeing it as I need to fill a quota so that people don't come for us. Yeah, right. And that's such a horrible way to look at it. And like diversity isn't a checklist. It's not like, okay, I've got, you know, someone of this race. I have someone of this sexuality, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Done. I have done diversity. Like it's, it's that you should be, you know, that should always be in your mind. That's how you should be like writing these stories for. It's not, 
it's not casting these people this way. It's telling the stories of the people with diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I think a really good example of that <laughs> is that people use diversity as a checklist so they don't get canceled, which is <laughs> concerning in itself. But recently, like a very popular show, Riverdale, um, one of the African-American actresses has come out and basically said that she is the lowest paid. She is like getting the worst storylines out of all the other, (laughs) all the other actors in the main cast. And then other people have said in the same show that the queer characters are also given these shitty storylines and kind of just pushed off to the side. So it's like they have diversity, but they're not actually focusing and, focusing any energy or positivity to those storylines you know they were like yep we got it and then you can go over there and we won't pay you very well either yeah (laughs) just to top it off we've gotten the bare minimum you're welcome yeah unfortunately that happens a lot so i think it's like it's getting easier in the sense of speaking out about it because i think shows and networks expect for people to kind of check them on it Um, Mm -hmm. However, I don't think that we're seeing the same effort or energy other than just trying to avoid confrontation. Um, And that's not to say that all shows are like, like there's some, there's some great shows that I think are doing a a good job of it. Um, But it really frustrates me. Like, okay. I hate to uh, just pile on river Riverdale here, but an example of (laughs) this. No, let's do it. Uh, uh, Riverdale, if you are looking for an actor. (laughs) (laughs) So an example of this is when they were first doing the ads for the first season of Riverdale, they showed a very, short clip in the ads of Betty and Veronica, the actresses who play those characters, about to kiss. And Mm. this is something that we speak to a lot on our podcast called queer baiting, where Mm. they're not actually intending to write any significant storyline or give it really any light or energy whatsoever, but they just tuck it in there enough that the LGBTQ plus community might first of all back the show and second of all, um, people will say, oh, see, they're not afraid of showing same-sex couples or relationships. But then, so people, there's all this excitement about it, and then people go and watch the show, and it's like this tiny little scene that never actually happens or has any storyline around it. So you do see queer baiting a lot, and you also see just kind of little half-ass attempts at diversity that... Um, are a shame because honestly, I would rather a show just not do it at all and just yeah. be like, then, then kind of tempt people to spend their dollars or their watch time there because they think they're going to get diversity and see themselves represented. And then it's kind of just pushed aside. Yeah. One, one show that I really like that I think does a good job of it um, is uh, She Ra, the new She Ra. Yeah. Have you seen that at all? Oh I've seen God. a few and I've seen a lot on Twitter, like fan base about it. Yeah. And they've got um, LGBT plus relationships in it, but it's not, it's just like, these are characters and they just happen to be queer. Yeah. It's not like, hey, this entire show is revolving around their relationship and like, look what we did. It's yeah. like, yeah, they're, they're queer. Yeah. And I yeah. think the problem speaking to that is the reason that I see fan base um, fo- um, around that show or Riverdale or whatever is unfortunately because the diversity is not there, all these fans are kind of forced to create fan fiction about mm-hmm. the shows right. because 
the show gives them like an inch and they're like, okay, you're not going to actually give us a story. So I guess as a community, what we'll do is we'll take the inch that you gave us and the little effort you gave us and we'll create all this fan fiction behind the scenes that actually gives us some sort of validation. Yeah. But in reality, fan fiction is going to happen no matter what anyways. Yeah. And, I, I, and, I, and that's the thing. I love fan fiction. I think the people that create it are so talented, but I think it speaks to the lack of representation that when it comes to LGBTQ fan fiction, um, that it's kind of like, it's the only place you can go if you want to see the yeah. deeper queer storylines because yeah. the networks aren't giving them. Yeah. It's not even yeah. like raunchy. It's just like, and then they got married and adopted <laughs> kids and they had a really nice life. <laughs> I was like, Thank you, finally. <laughs> uh, 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 Jeff, this is, uh, 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 as always, in many of our uh, podcasts, uh, Jeff uh, comes up with some really uh, interesting and insightful questions that facilitate our conversation. So thank you, Jeff. Um, now, no this problem. question uh, that uh, uh, I think is fascinating, because it's one that every so often I find myself thinking about this one, too. And it's a little bit, it's uh, simplistic in its point, I think. But the question is, do we remember the first show or type of media that we saw ourselves in, that we saw ourselves being represented in? Mm-hmm. And for, you know, speaking for myself, um you know this is this may sound this is going to sound uh a little either a little sad in both ways but first off <laughs> i remember like when jackie chan's rush hour came out and being like yeah yeah i you know uh i can be a kick-ass lead in a, in a <laughs> yeah yeah climb a wall i love that i can fight with a man <laughs> So, uh, but, you know, I think that was a very, um, I think, you know, uh, I'm glad that young Asian Daniel Chai, young Chinese Daniel Chai got to, you know, see Jackie Chan um, kick some ass. But then I, you know, I'm thinking, and uh, when this movie came out, it did, you know, make a very positive stir. um, And it was the movie Always Be My Maybe, which came out on Netflix 2019. Uh, I loved it, uh, starring Ali Wong, Randall Park. Uh, and, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it's it's basically a romantic comedy. Uh, cheesy, well-made, 89% of Rotten Tomatoes romantic that. comedy um, <laughs> that starred people who look like me. But it came out in 2019. <laughs> so, so you finally felt represented last year. in terms of being like whoa i can be like i can be a you know uh, as a the, uh, an actor based here in vancouver you know and this movie was filmed here in vancouver and i think also in in toronto maybe as well um but you know being able to be like you know i i think i grew up with the idea that ah i'm asian gotta know martial arts but yeah. you know but in 2019 I was like, oh sweet i can also be a romantic lead awesome yeah <laughs> so yeah so that's it for me what about what about you okay before i start my girlfriend and i just watched uh, a movie called lovebirds the other day 
It was, was so good. Netflix. It was so funny. I was crying. And it's like a comedy, yeah, rom-com. Um, and I was, I loved it. It was fantastically done. But I also was very aware as a white individual while watching it that I was like, wow, I think this is the first time that I've watched a romantic comedy that both leads are people of color. Yeah. Like, and that moment of awareness like was a really big click for me that I'm like, how crazy is it that I have gone my whole life and haven't even thought about that because of my privilege. I'm usually just seeing myself, not my queerness, but the color that I am um, as a white person on the screen in these romantic comedies. And I've been so focused on the fact that they're not gay <laughs> that <laughs> I haven't even noticed that because that's my privilege, right? So that was really cool. And I highly recommend to anyone listening that that movie because it was so funny and so well done. Love Bird starring Issa Rae and Kumal Nanjiani. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Every so often I do these plugs to be like, maybe they'll hear it and come on our podcast. Yeah. You never oh, I'd know. Love come all on. That'd be great. You have to tag them in the in the social media. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned you. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so, um, so for yourself, Brienne, uh, do you remember? Yeah, uh, a piece of media. Um, you know, as as a media and content creator yourself. And also for yourself, Sean, um, was there a piece of media that made you go, ah, I, I see myself and I can connect to this on a different level um, than perhaps I could any other media or movie or TV show? Yeah. For me, it was the L word. So mm. I was literally scrolling... Um, TV channels back when that was something you'd do, just flicking through TV channels. And um, I stumbled upon the L word and immediately was hooked. And I still think that I dealt with a lot more internalized homophobia than I do now and was still unsure of my sexuality. And there was a part of me that was even afraid to be watching it because I feel like I finally saw the things that I had been suppressing within myself and not wanting to admit to myself. And just watching that one episode, I actually bust to the local mall and with my like part-time job, I bought the box sets of nice. the first season. Um, once again, back when you bought box sets of season. <laughs> and um, I had one of those like, portable dvd players i'm really like throwing it back you know? <laughs> like not a laptop like just like the dvds yeah, yeah. in the little screen and um i literally in my bedroom under the covers on the lowest volume setting watched the first season of the l word and was i remember actually like crying just being so happy because since i didn't have any friends that were out I just didn't even know if what I was feeling was even a possibility to mm. live that way. Like I didn't even, I couldn't even understand my own feelings. So to, so to see people on screen that were basically living kind of a dream life, in my opinion, that I never thought I'd be able to live um, being out queer females was just like mind blowing. Yeah. That's oh, awesome. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, for yourself, Sean, do you have a, a, a do you remember uh, a piece of media that that you were able to connect to on a, a on a level of feeling represented? 
I think um, like shows like uh, Queer as Folk and Looking, I felt like relatively well represented. But for me, like a big thing or a big issue with representation for at least gay males is that it's all incredibly hypersexualized <laughs> and a right. lot of it focuses on gay clubs and drugs and this like party lifestyle so for me i felt represented in certain aspects but i was like is there more like are people gonna get in long-term relationships like are they gonna you know <laughs> have happy lives <laughs> So that did come in both of those shows. So I did feel represented. But I we talk in our podcast a lot about how as uh, like a child or a teenager, we kind of put representation on things that wasn't like weren't meant to represent us like Disney characters or like Princess Peach. Like I just really was like, yeah, this is that's mine <laughs> because I didn't get it wasn't properly represented for me. So we kind of just take what we can get <laughs> and we also talk about how um a lot of disney villains are almost kind of uh queer adjacent in their storylines so we kind of are like yeah that'll do that'll that can take that. <laughs> like i always i always say one of my favorite um my favorite movies was 101 Dalmatians and I loved, which is is concerning in a lot of aspects, but I loved Cruella (laughs) DeVille because as well, yeah, just skinning dogs, but we'll just skim over that part. (laughs) But I felt like she had this feminine energy and she commanded presence, skinned a few dogs, but once again, (laughs) skim over that. But for me, like, she was my favorite character because I was like, she is a woman. She has this feminine energy, but, like, nobody's going to screw with her. Like, she is, like, her own kind of boss. So, yeah, we talk about that, that we kind of just are like, we'll take that. That'll do for now. (laughs) Like how Ursula is a drag queen? Absolutely. (laughs) Actually, no, I know a couple cosplayers that do uh, a drag Cruella de Vil. Oh, amazing. Perfect. (laughs) Um, Now, uh, uh, you you raise a really, a really good point. Um, You know, how, you know, uh, growing up, you you had to find, you you had to almost be like, ah, I will use this as representation. I will find meaning in this thing that, that probably didn't, wasn't created with that meaning in it. Um, you know, and that's, and that is unfortunate. It's unfortunate that we have to find, you know, that we have to make up these meanings instead of actually having these things be, you know, created with the intent of, no, um, this is supposed to be representation and hopefully true and pure representations of, of what these things are, which is why, you know, I, I'm glad that, uh, that the two of you have created this podcast that can, you know, help, uh, uh, you know, hopefully other LGBT plus people feel connected or represented, um, not just, you know, with questions that they have, but also in the world of podcasting as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I guess, so my follow-up question on that is, you know, we've been talking a lot about media and entertainment, um, but is it just those, is it just media and entertainment that is lacking a representation or is it other facets of the world as well? I think definitely other facets. I mean, whether it's the diversity in the company that you work for or um, the sports teams you play on. Um, But a big one that comes to my mind that 
we've discussed before is the school system um, mm. in the sense of like, I remember going to sex ed and there wasn't a single thing in there that I was interested in hearing about. <laughs> and there was no representation of um, queer sex and how sex could look different than um, a cis male and a cis female. Um, so that's a big one that jumps to me where not only do I think it would be nice to have representation, but it's actually extraordinarily important for health and safety Absolutely. to have that. And I wanted to make a point that I went to one of the late nights at science world and there was some amazing representation, um, in the sex ed section of queer sex. And I thought that was really cool. The fact that somewhere I went when I was a kid, now there's kids getting to go and read about that and see that represented was just like really awesome. Um, you know, and uh, uh, thank you for sharing. And I think, you know, uh, uh, absolutely education, you know, places of education and also I think, you know, places of power, places of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, our, our civic leaders, our governments, our, uh, you know, our, our banking system, our banks, uh, our health care. Daniel, yes. are you saying that the American president does not represent diversity? <laughs> I'm going to say yes. <laughs> or uh, also realizing that, am I now on a watch list? Oh, yeah. We're on a watch list for sure. He is representing Hicks all over the world. So. We also love all of our Hicks listeners. Yes. <laughs> We're sorry, Manitoba. <laughs> um, you know, uh, now, you know uh, we are, but, you know, I, I wonder uh, that leads to the next question. You know, you talk about, you know, us being children and not being able to have these representations. You know, I think it's not just, you know, and for myself, you know, uh, growing up and not seeing, uh, you know, Asian people in, in magazines, you know, and, and maybe, you know, there's a part of me. And now I wonder if this is a part of me that's like the internalized, like uh, part of me that's like, oh, maybe, maybe it's just that I didn't search hard enough for these books, or maybe I didn't search hard enough in the different sections of the of the movie store to find these things um is i think the fact that you would have had to search for it is a good <laughs> i think especially when you're a kid like you're going to school expecting to learn about the world and the people in it and you're turning on tv expecting to get you know some form of entertainment or the world and um, the fact that you would even have to go to all these like niche environments to maybe find it um, is a big problem. Yeah, it really makes me aware of the privilege that I have as well. Uh, like when I was a kid, I didn't go into Roger's video hoping that uh, Ghostbusters would have someone white in it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I do remember, you know, uh, uh, now... That said, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, as we talk about the need for representation and um, and and the push for representation, um, is there uh, are there you know playing devil's advocate? Are there any pitfalls in in uh, rushing into representation 
and making sure that we fill those quotas to make sure that we can uh, uh, have one of every color and one of every gender and one of, you know, um, are there, like I, it, like, I feel weird saying that. Again, just the devil's advocate. But are there any dangers in rushing in to do all of these things? I think when you carelessly tell any story you can tell that it's careless (laughs) like Mm -hmm. i don't think a lot of lesbians need to see another lesbian die in a show (laughs) like that is just the the classic lesbian trope when they add a lesbian character that they will get killed off (laughs) so i think i think that is a danger in misrepresentation is that Mm -hmm. if you do rush storylines for the sake of just fitting it in somewhere it feels rushed and incomplete and ingenuine so i think that that is a a danger of course speaking to that also i think that a problem with rushing to representation and also not hearing the voices of that representation when you're creating characters or storylines is that a lot of those rush characters become very stereotypical which especially if viewers that's their first chance at seeing you know, whether it's a gay male represented or a lesbian female or a person of color, if it's a super stereotypical um, representation, then that can be very dangerous for the community. Um, So yeah, I think that there is a problem with people rushing into it, which is why, honestly, I'd rather, um, I'd rather if they're not going to go about it in a way where they're actually listening to the voices in that community, I'd almost rather it not be there at all. Because um, a lot of times, unfortunately, the one character is the only representation. So when you watch a movie and there's like villains and there's assholes and there's some people that suck and there's some people that are great and funny and they're all heterosexual, I think that people watching that are aware that not every person is like that asshole represented or not every person is you know, a cheater or a liar or whatever. But when the queer person represented is someone who's like a homewrecker or like has like a half ass personality or storyline, then sometimes that can do more damage than good. And it's not to say that there's not a lot of queer people that are assholes. I mean, you're looking at two of them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true at all. (laughs) But um, I think that sometimes there's only there's small opportunities for representation. So when they're done poorly, it does um, more, it doesn't, yeah, I'd rather not be there. (laughs) I just think that like Bree said earlier in terms of where, you know, representation is lacking, uh, education and representation are so synonymous. (laughs) So if you're trying to tell these stories and you're not educated or you're not, you know, a a queer person telling the story, it, it, it's just silly. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like lack of representation as well can can lead to to stereotypes. It's like what what Sean was talking about earlier was was uh queer as folk where it's like wait a minute, do I have to do drugs to be gay? <laughs> you works? do. You do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Some stereotypes are true, but you know. <laughs> but that actually brings me to my uh, another follow-up question I had um from your the first show you had represented uh what is a show or or piece of media in general where the first time you were like that's a stereotype uh my community is not like that at all 
I could start it off with sh- uh, shit talking about one of the shows I hate more than anything. <laughs> oh no! Um, Don't do yeah, it. No. I'm saying it. Riverdale. No. <laughs> no. Uh, the worst show for the geek community. Oh no! Period is Big Bang Theory. Mm. It is the worst show ever. Yeah. And it is. I think it actually does a disservice to the geek community in general because it's such a, a stereotype of what geeks are like the, the anti-social um, just not able to interact with people like Sheldon's yeah. worse. I love the actor who plays Sheldon, yeah. but I cannot stand Sheldon or really any of those characters at all. Yeah. Now uh, a quick question for you, Jeff, then uh, you mentioned Silicon Valley. Um, yeah. Is there, um, is there a show that represents geeks uh, that that makes you go, yeah, that's that's. Oh yeah, we forgot to talk about my uh, point of view, with my representation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so important. I'm sure you're important. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. With the geek community, yeah, the '90s um, geeks were pretty portrayed in a pretty horrible way. Um, and, uh, I think Silicon Valley is probably one of the first ones where I'm like, yeah, I think it's because I also work in tech as well, where I'm like, I get a lot of those jokes. I've met a lot of those people. Um, so it totally makes sense. I also love Tom and Spittleditch. So, uh, that was also a big plus, but yeah, I think that was the first one for me. Right. Uh, to, uh, yeah, I think for, oh man, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, I, as an as an Asian person, um, I'm trying like, and I'm you know I consumed a lot of media. I watched a lot of, uh, of movies and TV shows growing up, um, but I watched a lot. You know, born and raised in Surrey, BC, uh, have a very Westernized you know uh, media consumption. You know, um, I don't know how much I'm. I don't know how much Asian, how many Asian characters. You know, a fully fleshed out Asian characters. Uh, you know, I saw enough to be able to be like, no, that's not me. Or, yeah, that is me. Which mm-hmm. also is another statement in terms of like yeah. representation. I will say, um, I think the a recent example that comes to mind. Um, and again, uh, as, it was the show uh, Two Broke Girls. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, um, and there's an Asian character on that show. Um, I can't even remember his name, but you know he's played off as a very geek, uh, weak-willed, short, um, you know, uh, punchline character. Yeah, punching bag. Absolutely. Also, uh, cast and directors, I will totally play that character. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I didn't like that one, but I can do it. I'm here for it. Hey, you got to get there somehow, right? Yeah. <laughs> the reboot of Two Broke Girls you're on. <laughs> like, no, I, I would, you know, if this ever comes back, if I ever get offered a role and then they bring me into the cast office and they just hit play on a tape recorder <laughs> and they play back me being like, Ah oh, man, I don't like that character. It was, it was nothing like what an Asian person, a, a, you know, is like. And they're like, "Sorry, we can't give you that." I will be like, "Thank you for listening and finding our podcast." I'm there. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank um, you for doing so much research, <laughs> casting director. <laughs> yeah, um, but but yeah, uh, for for me again, you know, it's a very recent po- it's a very recent sitcom that I'm like, man, here we are at 2015, 2016, or whatever the show ran, and we still have these uh, a short Asian character who couldn't possibly ever have sex or ever get with mm-hmm. the ladies, and gets pushed around by everyone who's taller than him, and I'm like. Yeah. And, and it's a good point too that the the like further along in history it is, it's actually the more painful it is when you see it happen. Come on, you people. Know, right. Like, you know, for, oh, for yeah. my example of the geek world, um in the nineties, you're just kinda like, Meh, it was the nineties. Right. Yeah. yeah, like it was long enough ago. But I think that's something that we're all learning in these times is how recent so many things are. And, um, you know, an example, uh, Sean and I were discussing the other day about how he was rewatching a few episodes of Glee. And I remember being in high school and thinking like it was so like, wow, look at this diversity. And they're thinking of all these storylines. And now looking back and seeing some of the clips on that show, I'm horrified. Dear God. (laughs) And that's only like a few years. And earlier I mentioned, earlier I mentioned L word. And that's a good example as well as when I was watching that, that was um, groundbreaking in representation. And now if you watch back the older seasons, like they're incredibly problematic and transphobic and there's so many issues with them. So a lot of these more recent shows, I mean, I guess it's a testament to the fact that things are changing fairly rapidly because things even a few years ago seem really dated. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a good thing, right? Yeah. But at the same time, yeah, it's kind of scary to go back and watch things from even a few years ago. Well, I also like kind of in relation to that, my my misrepresentation or saying that that's a stereotype. Um, I remember growing up when I would watch Will and Grace. I was so offended at the idea of being a gay man like Jack. <laughs> like I was like, that is not who I am. I don't see myself like Bella making it this whole thing. But I think a lot of that was just also my internalized homophobia, just being like, I don't want to be an effeminate male. Cause now when I watch it, I'm like, yeah, I love Jack. Like that. I see myself <laughs> parts of that, you know? So it's kind of, it's kind of a double-edged sword there. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, the misrepresentation um, as a lesbian female, a lot of the storylines are still somehow written around a quote unquote heterosexual relationship that gets disrupted by a lesbian. Um. And it, there's like this tie in in a lot of um, queer woman films that there's this femme lesbian who's either engaged, dating or married to a male. And then this like tomboy or butch lesbian kind of comes in and switches her (laughs) and that is like obviously like a big problem because it's speaking to the fact that there's this dynamic that any femme um queer woman is only that way because someone like changed them or like changed their mind um and then also it's like just also problematic that it's like this like home wrecking story that's always (laughs) happening Yeah, And I've seen that like so many times and it always, almost always starts with some like super erotic, like lesbian scene that that was like the moment she switched her, that they have like some passionate sex scene. So it's like, 
it's kind of layered. It's like you get the like slightly pornographic lesbian sex scene that doesn't need to be there for the storyline. And then the fact that someone is like needs another catalyst in order to realize what their sexuality is. Yeah. You know what the first show that I can think of with that storyline is? Yeah. It's Friends. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like that. And that is seen once you start like looking into it, that is seen in almost like so many queer storylines and exactly friends is a great representation that it was like, you know, and friends represents it as such a negative for Ross, right? That his, oh, yeah. she got stolen away by, you know, Carol's on the run because someone switched her. And another great um, example of a show that you look back on those episodes, especially me now as a queer woman. And I'm like, Ooh, this is like not the best way to be speaking about this, but yeah, it's definitely yeah. Um, seen in a lot of film and TV. Wow. Friends is so weird to watch again uh, mm-hmm. now with like new new lenses because, you know, Ross is the worst, is the worst <laughs> character. <laughs> and I remember watching it when I was younger being like, oh, yeah. Ross, yeah. you're so crazy. And then you're like, you watch it now, you're like, Ross, you're an asshole. <laughs> you're just an asshole. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I know. I was actually just watching a show, a brand new show, um, that had that same trope in it as well. Um, mm-hmm. I was watching the new show Space Force on oh. uh, on Netflix with Steve Carell. Okay. And uh, they had the same thing where his, I don't want to spoil mm-hmm. any of it because it's no. a new show, but like, it had yeah. that exact same, uh, oh, the the lesbian woman comes along and now has wrecked the family. Yes. It's almost every time, like it's actually frightening when you start looking into it, that it's like the writers are just like, okay, we need the representation. So I know just pull out that home wrecking tip again. (laughs) We'll stick it in there. (laughs) People like that one. (laughs) I think that's also, uh, I was watching sex in the city and this is blown up on Twitter as well. And there's a conversation where, the women are talking about a bi man and they're saying that he's greedy and that he can't have both. And they were all kind of offering a different opinion on it. And everybody was saying how problematic it was, but other people, other bi people on Twitter were saying like, at the time that was like groundbreaking that it was even spoken about. So (laughs) you really kind of see the difference when you fast forward and then go back. (laughs) And I think that's what we've all kind of been speaking about in our own way is that in some ways it was just exciting to see yourself on screen in any way at first. And Mm -hmm. then um, you realize that, you know, there's so many better ways, but as queer people, you know, sometimes you take what you can get, which is a problem within itself. But yeah, I think we're in a a time in history too, where it's time for it to evolve. We've, we've got, we've, we've had those, those tokenism, characters in there throughout the years um now let's write them good parts and stories yeah, absolutely <laughs> now so so with that jeff and brianne and sean uh with that how how can we continue to evolve um how can we continue how can media um you know uh you know media and entertainment and to a greater extent all of these other things that we talked about how can we in continue to make representation matter and and be better? Well, I think for starters is hire people that are um, of that community, 
speaking for myself as a queer individual, I think if you are intending to um, represent uh, queer people in TV or film, then you should probably have someone who's a queer writer. Um, and it's it doesn't just go into the who you see on screen. It's who's behind the scenes as well. Like, are, mm-hmm. are they represented when it comes to the producers, the directors, the writers? Um, and don't just rely on um, the actors or the characters themselves representing it, but you really need to start from, from the from the first step in creating it um, is the representation there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was going to mention, I saw a really great example um, of representation done right uh, not too long ago on the newer, one of the newest seasons of Doctor Who. Um, mm-hmm. There was an episode that had someone in it, uh, one of the scientists, uh, she had dwarfism. And she, the entire time I'm watching the show, I'm like, don't make that part of her character. (laughs) Just, just like, let her be an actor who happens to have dwarfism that's Mm -hmm. playing a role. And yeah, it was incredible. It was like, they didn't, her character had nothing to do with the fact she had dwarfism. It was just the the episode continued on. And I was like, that's what I want to see. I want to see just, just people of different diversities playing roles. Yeah, playing people, right? That are multifaceted and not just that label um, that we give them. So that's cool. And once again, that's really positive to see, but also the fact that we see those moments happen and it's so surprising. Yeah. um, You know, hopefully that's the next step that we see those moments happen on our screens more and more. Yeah, I do remember watching it too and being like, it's being very aware of the fact that I, I was like, please, please don't mess this yeah. up. Just, just yes. <laughs> I love You're you, Dr. So who well. don't mess this up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, uh, and not just the actors, but also the producers, the writers, the directors, the storytellers, um, you know, uh, your marketing team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, I think in real life, you know, and and to, you know, just say really for uh, in real life, um, real life, we have all these different people around us. Hopefully, hopefully we all have a wide variety of people around us. Um, so let's make sure that wide variety of people who are around us are also with us when we create these things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. Beautiful. That's a great wow. way to, to wrap this up. Um, yeah, I'd like to, to thank both of you for being on, on the show. That was an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for having us and yeah, hearing thank us. You. And for, for our Fair Science listeners who want to learn more about I Can Explain and both of your works, uh, where can they find you? And uh, uh, how often does your podcast come out? Sure. So our podcast is called I Can Explain, and it's an LGBTQ plus podcast where we answer all the questions that you're too afraid to ask. And you can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you can search for podcasts. And you can find us on Instagram at I Can Explain Podcast, and personally at Brianne Williamson and at Sean.Lusk. Awesome. Thank you. And as for us, you can find Fear of Science on all of your podcast players, all of your social media uh, 
places, and of course at at Science Fears on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and not TikTok. <laughs> not yet. Not, not yet. <laughs> I'm getting pretty bored during COVID. You never know. Uh, uh, well, again, uh, everyone, thank you so much for for listening. We hope you are staying well and taking care of not only each other but also taking care of yourself uh again my name is daniel and i'm jeff porter we'll chat again soon